I'm going to start with a question. Have any of us, raise your hand, if you are familiar or have heard the term disciple? All of us, wow, it's incredible. See, when I was coming up, um, and although I was a part of a church as a young dude, um, this, this idea, this concept of discipleship or being a disciple, um, it was pretty foreign to me. If, if I did hear the term, um, I can't say that I fully grasp what it meant. And uh, I don't know if any of you are like that, but um, I hope I'm not the only one. But I really, 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 really were, was never familiar with the term disciple or discipleship. Now, when I gave my heart to the Lord and when I decided to follow Jesus and he rescued me, um, this idea of being a disciple became more familiar. And I heard about it a lot more. And everybody was talking about it. It was kind of like... Um, Disciple, like right, like it was like something that was really cool or really um, like I don't know mystical. It had this really unique thing tied to it. And again, even as a believer, and I don't know if anybody here is like me. I hope I'm not the only one. But even as a believer, I still didn't really fully understand disciple or discipleship. Am I am I the only one? No, some people. Right? I didn't really get it. It's like, oh, it's this thing that's supposed to happen, this thing I'm supposed to do. Well, I'm going to give us a quick lesson in Greek. Is that cool? Raise your hand if you want to study Greek. You don't have a choice today. You are going to study Greek. Get out your papers. You can write this word down and submit it to me. I will give you all an A. I promise. Jovan, I promise. You will get an A. Mathetes is, say mathetes. Turn to somebody. Mathetes. I'm trying to pronounce that well. Y'all see that? You see that? Matetes. Trying to get that down. It generally means student or pupil. It's this idea that you are a learner, a follower. You know, uh, it could also be trans. It's a Greek word. It could also be translated like adherent, um, those type of things. And um, essentially, this concept, and I learned this in my studies. I thought this was really, really interesting and worth noting. This concept of discipleship is not just unique to Jesus. And oftentimes we hear Jesus and his... Y'all ain't say that too loud. We hear Jesus and his disciples. Just making sure y'all are awake. And I remember hearing about Jesus and his disciples before I really understood the concept. But uh, in first century, uh, in the first century Jewish culture, discipleship was not just unique to Jesus. So there were prophets, and prophets are just individuals who speak to people on behalf of God, right? Prophets had disciples, right? So John the Baptist, everybody say John the Baptist, right? He was the one to tell everybody and get them ready to receive Jesus. John the Baptist had disciples. Um, prophets like Isaiah, Isaiah had disciples. And, and also, like great in, in, in a historical context, great philosophers had disciples also, right? They had people that they were pouring their teachings into. They were uh, giving them all that they could possibly know. They were pouring into them so they could reproduce their teaching. So this idea of discipleship was not just unique to Jesus. Um, one of the things that I like about the, the early Jewish culture also is that discipleship primarily happened at home. And I have children. So when I was reading, I'm like, man, that's pretty cool. So if you were a, a Jewish boy, 
right? You had to, instead of coming home and posting or trying to find a new picture on Instagram, right? My daughter does that in the mirror. She'd be like, take his selfies. So instead of doing that when you came home, you would essentially go to the table. I would imagine it was a table, right, Jordan? Probably. You would go to the table and you would study the first five books of the Bible. And in Hebrew, the first five books of the Bible is the, a word Torah, and that just means law. And so you would go and study that. And uh, in, in Greek, the first five books of the Bible is called Pentateuch, and that just means five volumes, right? So you would, as a kid, you would go, you would study, you would get it, you would get it, you would get it. If you didn't, you would get it again. It's like eating vegetables, or like in Jordan's case, you would have to eat beans and make sure you like them, right? There was no escape in this. You had to know and, and fill yourself with the history of your culture and your nation. Now, once you turn 13, and if you wanted to pursue, I guess what we would call ministry, right? So where the Jewish uh, tradition worships is a place called synagogue. Turn to somebody and say synagogue, right? So you would go, if you wanted to work in the synagogue, then you had to pack up your stuff as a 13-year-old. Imagine, it's kind of scary, right? A 13-year-old packing up their stuff. I remember one time, this is a quick story. My little sister, my, my older sister and I, we were teasing her, making fun of her. And she was like eight. And she's like, yo, I'm running away. And we start laughing, like, where are you going to go? You're like, you're eight, right? Where are you going to go? She really packed her bag, and she went outside and sat on the stoop for like five hours till my parents came home. I was like, yo, she really tried to run away. And it's pretty scary to think if she really would have went somewhere. I mean, we probably wouldn't have chased her, but we probably should have, right, Marissa? We probably should have at least found out where she went. But imagine this 13-year-old packing up their stuff and literally saying, mom, dad, deuces, I'm going to find the most proficient scholar that I could find, and I'm going to do what they do. I'm going to eat what they eat. I'm going to teach what they teach. I'm going to believe what they believe. I'm going to abandon my whole life to follow this person. That's what it looked like. And so um, even though discipleship is not just unique to Jesus, Jesus treats discipleship extremely serious. I wonder if we treat discipleship extremely serious. I wonder if, like, if any of you are like me, we feel like it's kind of just this, I've been down with God a little bit, so I, I kind of know it's supposed to happen, and it's, it just happens through metamorphosis. It's going to happen. It's going to be there. Not really intentional about it. Or, or if you're like me, it's still kind of mystical, and you still just don't know, and so you just chalk, chalk it up to, I don't know. But Jesus takes discipleship extremely serious. I read a, I read a good summary um, of discipleship uh, on Bible.org. I thought this was worth mentioning. Uh, Though the term disciple is used in different ways in the literature of the period, there are examples of discipleship referring to people committed to following a great leader, emulating his life, and passing on his teachings. In these cases, discipleship meant much more than just the transfer of information. Again, it referred to imitating, say imitating, imitating the teacher's life, 
inculcating, which really means just an insistent, like putting information in you consistently, 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 inculcating his values and reproducing his teachings. With all that said, my, my message is entitled, A Look at Biblical Discipleship. Can I pray for us real quick before we step into the meat of this? Let me pray for us. God, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to receive what you will say to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. See, in no way am I or Jordan or the Renaissance team proclaiming to be gurus on discipleship, but I know it's something we're very, very passionate about. It's something that we believe in. It's something that we want you to know we believe in. It's something that we want to be intentional about. And it's something that we are not going to just talk about. Hopefully, today, we demystify. Say demystify. Hopefully, we demystify disciple and discipleship. And it became not, not just uh, here at Renaissance, but it, be, it was a personal, it's a personal thing for me. It's something that I'm, I am personally passionate about because I remember as a young dude in ministry, I would be a part of these conferences or because of God's favor on my life, I would have these opportunities to meet people who I respected deeply. I respected their biblical knowledge. Um, some of my training came from um, biblical scholars who like helped translate uh, different Bible translations and things of that nature. And I'm amazed. Like, yo, this dude, Dale Bruner, he told me he spent 60 hours a week in the library studying and that he, he admired me. I'm like, I admire you. 60 hours in a library, that's dedication, my man. I mean, I can't spend six minutes in a library without being distracted. But he, he said he admired the work that I did because he knew that he was equipping me to go out to change the world. And he, in turn, was changing the world. Does that make sense? I was like, man, that's... That's really cool. And so I remember talking to these people and, and meeting a lot of my, you know, the, the folks that I was training with. And I felt like this spiritual groupie. <laughs> You're supposed to laugh at that. Like, that's not cool. You shouldn't be a groupie, right? I, I really felt like I wanted, I would email folks and I would find a unique way to ask a question. So they would be like, oh, he's smart. Like, let me pay attention to him. And I would try to get, like, really close to these folks and oftentimes to no avail. Oftentimes, I mean, there was maybe a few exchanges, but nothing really. And then the, the Holy Spirit, God of the universe, stepped in. And I remember God saying, Aswan, I know you want to feel significant, but you are already significant. Like, I already see you. I already value you, and I will disciple you. See, I had this innate desire for someone to pour into me so that I could feel valued. And, and God was telling me, man, I will pour into you and I value you. And that's why discipleship became so passionate to me. And so if you haven't been here with us for the last uh, two weeks or so, we've been talking about this movement that has transformed the world. We've been looking at the book of Acts, right? A guy named Luke who was a physician. He not only wrote one of the four Gospels, he also wrote this book of Acts where it kind of details the first century church. And, and Jordan, we began talking, Jordan uh, opened up 
kind of our time um, with this idea about the gospel and Peter and his message in chapter 2 and 3,000 people hearing it. And Jordan likes to refer to it as the decentralization of the gospel, right? This idea that every nation, every people group heard the gospel in their own language. It was such a diverse community. And, and we look at Acts 2, we look at this first century church here at Renaissance because we want to be as close to that as possible. Is that, is that fair to say, Jordan? We want to create a community here that embodies that as well. And so if we look at this particular scripture in Acts 2.42, it says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Prayer, um, excuse me, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. See, in, in my eyes, everybody say devotion. Everybody say devoted themselves. Raise your hands if you can identify something you're devoted to. Like, you know right off the back something you're devoted to. And I would, I would ask us, like, yeah, I saw somebody like, oh, well, mm. right? Like, that's, that was me, too, when I read this. I'm like, man, what am I really devoted to? Because this idea of devotion connotes this, like, serious pursuit, this chasing. I mean, it's a, it's a serious thing, right? They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Then I asked myself, well, who are the apostles? Well, the apostles were Jesus' disciples who he sent out to change the world. Well, what were the apostles teaching? Did anybody, does anybody talk to themselves like this? Is it just me? Is it just me? All right. I, it is me, right? It is. I talk to myself out loud sometimes too. But, but I'm thinking like, okay, so what were the apostles teaching? Well, the apostles had to be teaching the things that Jesus taught them. So this idea of devotion um, must be closely tied to discipleship, at least, maybe. I would offer that as a, as a suggestion. And then, I, as I was reading this, it brought me to a passage in John 13. And I just want to set up the scene real quick. In John 13, um, we see Jesus uh, doing the unthinkable. See, it was customary in Jew Jewish culture for if you went to somebody's house that you would have your feet washed. How many go to people's houses and you take your shoes off? At least, right? Or you at least consider. You at least ask, right? Some of us just, yo, yo, what's up? I mean, at least consider, right? I know at my house, if you walk in with your shoes off, right, Waddell, with your shoes on, Heather will get you. Like, she will get you because she mops the floor. Or she makes Genesis mop, mop the floor. But, but, but it was customary for people to have their feet washed. Now, here was the kind of cool thing. Well, I don't know if it's cool for the servant, but it was typically reserved for the servant. There was a servant who, who came and made sure every guest had their foot washed or their feet washed, I guess is proper grammar, right? <laughs> um, I think that's really, like, amazing. But what's more amazing is that Jesus then, he comes into the scene and he does the foot washing. He takes the place of a servant, and he washes all of his disciples' feet. That's amazing. The God of the universe who put on skin, walked into somebody's home, and started washing feet. How many of y'all washed feet before? Yes. I see some heads like, not me. You won't find me washing feet. I tell you, it's feet, man. That's an we should do a sermon on feet, maybe. <laughs> 
And it's, so if we fast forward a little bit, Judas it has, uh, and he was one of the disciples who betrayed Jesus. He has left, and Jesus is now turning to the disciples, and this is what he says. He says, dear children, I will be with you only a little longer. And as I told the Jewish leaders, you will search for me, but you can't come where I'm going. So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Say love each other. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my what? That you are my disciples. May I submit to us that being a disciple of Jesus is the best, maybe the most profound picture we could give the world to get to know him. May I suggest that being a disciple of Jesus, being a student of Jesus, and loving other students of Jesus really, 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 really well. How many of y'all know that's hard, though? Very hard. Loving me is hard. Like, I, it's hard for me to love myself some days, right? I'm, can, can we be honest, right? There's some days you wake up like, you ain't got it. You ain't got it. You're not as cool as you thought you were. It's just a fact. Go, go on and go on about your day, bro. You ain't got it. But may I submit to us that loving other students of Jesus well and building a community that loves each other well is the most profound way to tell people about Jesus. Do we take discipleship serious? That begs the question then, what is a disciple? Right, Angie? Does it say that on the screen? All right, great. What is a disciple, right? What does real discipleship look like? And instead of just kind of giving my opinion, I'm the type of dude, I don't know where, you are, where all of us are in regard to the Bible and how we treat the Bible, how we feel about the Bible. But I know for me, the Bible is the source for me. It's where I need to go. It's where I have to go. Six, 66 books, thousands of years old. 44 authors, I believe, like it's one of the most historical, most uh, factual accounts that we have. Um, time, it's, a, it's a New York bestseller all the time, so they stop even saying that it's a New York bestseller, right? I refer to the Bible, and so I'm going to use a lot of passages. Again, feel free to jot them down or pull them up on your iPhone, but we're going to have them up on the screen. And so I want to look at Luke 14, verses 25 to 35. Is that cool? If you got it, pull it up. If not, I'm going to read it. A large crowd was following Jesus. He turned around and said to them, if you want to be my disciple, you must hate everyone else by comparison. Your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. But don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there is enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might com complete only the foundation before running out of money, and then everyone would laugh at you. 
they would say, there's the person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. Or what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the 20,000 soldiers marching against him? And if he can't, he will send a delegation to discuss terms of peace while the enemy is still far away. So you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything on your own. I am sure a bunch of things jump out at you in this passage, and I want to highlight a few, okay? One, large crowds. Everybody say large crowds, right? When this passage starts, it talks about large crowds. Many people follow Jesus. Raise your hand if you knew that. Like many people. So it wasn't just these group of disciples. It wasn't just these group of people who got it. Like Jesus was the hottest thing in town and primarily because I believe he was so creative in that he didn't really mess with the government. You know, there was a time where somebody asked about taxes. He says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Like you see his face on the money, like that belongs to him, but give to God what is God. So he kind of stayed low under the radar when it came to the government. And then The religious folks were really the only people who had a problem with him. The people who really, they were called Pharisees, they really focused on the law and wanted to make sure the law was observed. So so they were the ones who essentially had the biggest challenge with Jesus. But a lot of Jesus' followers were people who were poor, people who were middle class, like the regular folks, say regular folks, like the regular folks followed Jesus in droves. Then he says, if you want to be my disciples, I think this if signifies a possible choice. Like Jesus is not saying, yo, Jacob, make sure you're my disciple. Jesus is not like he's not saying, yo, you have to be my disciple. He's not asking like he's not telling you as a robot to just come and do what he does just because he said so. He suggests, if you want to be my disciples, and then everything after this if, he kind of details to us what needs to happen, right? Remember, we're answering the question, what is a disciple? He says, you must hate. Turn to somebody and say, hmm? (laughs) Not for real. Turn to somebody and say, hmm? Marissa, do it. Hmm? You must hate. How could this loving Jesus turn to us and say you must hate? Did anybody have any problem with that? That's a little confusing, right? Like, what what does that mean? And I fully believe here, again, there's maybe a few suggestions, but I fully believe the best suggestion here is that Jesus was talking about priority. He wasn't saying hate, and I love how the New Living Translation says you must hate in comparison. In com- compared to my wife, my children, my mother and father who are here, who I dearly love, they're, they're, they're in the back, my sister, my brothers, like in comparison, my relationship with them should not mean more than my relationship with Jesus. I ask us again, what are we devoted to? Is our relationship with Jesus first and paramount in our hearts and in our minds. And I know that's difficult. See, when I heard that, I'm like, yo, you bugging Jesus. That's, 
That's a, you bugging. But this idea of priority. See, I was fortunate when I came home from being rescued by the gospel. My dad and my mom, they were like, yo, great. I mean, we kind of were hoping that that would happen, right? But even then, like, as I grew deeper in my studies, my dad and I talked more, my sister talked more, and, and, like, my family received this idea of being a disciple of Jesus. However, there are some of us maybe sitting here, but there's people I know that when they went home and said, look, Jesus rescued me, people looked at them like they had five eyes. People looked at them like, yo, you must be crazy, like, get out of here with that, don't come back. Some people have lost friends, lost loved ones, ostracized from their family completely because they decided to follow Jesus. Do you know anybody like that? And so this idea that, man, Jesus' relationship or our relationship with Jesus should take priority is a big one. Carry your own cross. Everybody say, carry your own cross. See, this idea of self-denial, this idea that, man, Jesus willingly denied himself and took up his cross. And so he's calling us and he's inviting us, he's suggesting that if you want to be a disciple, then one of the primary things that you have to do is deny yourself. And see, I would imagine AJ, my son, Aswan Jr., doesn't have hard trouble with that because 90% of what he needs, we give him, right? I tell him no, he might cry a little bit, but if I'm creative, I turn on Daniel Tiger and he's good again, right? He forgets about it. It's like, it's not a big deal. But now if he, I asked him to self-regulate, if I asked him to deny himself, if I said, hey, money's tight right now, AJ, I need you to not be hungry, he would have difficulty doing that. And so would you, right? Some of y'all like me too. Denying ourselves is so difficult. And I believe it's one of the main reasons why this idea of discipleship has remained mystical. Because God, Jesus, is calling us into this self-denial process day after day, night after night. And it's difficult. And then I love this. Say, but don't begin until you count the cost. No, you can say it. Say, don't begin until you count the cost. See, again, this here, Jesus, I believe, is saying, yo, there are some things that I just laid out to you. You're going to have to count the cost. You're going to have to take into account what you might lose in this process. So before you begin... Think about it. Consider it. And see, I would imagine that I have been doing something wrong, and I apologize to you and all those that I've shared the gospel with. I think that I have shared this idea of coming to follow and be with Jesus devoid of discipleship. I think I have shared it in a way that's like, yo, it's so great. He's the answer to all your troubles without saying before you begin, count the costs. Giving people time to say, okay, I'm going to have to give up some things here. 
And here's what I love about this. I love this so much. And I know we're running out of time. But I love this because this is the place where I think we really, really, really meet Jesus. You know why he's able to ask you to count the cost? Because he did. Because Romans 5.8 says, while you and I were still separated from God, while we were enemies, Jesus came and died for us. It's like the superhero dying for the villain. That doesn't happen. The superhero doesn't die for the villain. The superhero does what? Kills the villain, beats the villain. Jesus flips that on his head and he says, you know why I'm calling you into this all-in-all relationship? It's because I gave you all. It's because I was willing to abandon my life, my connection with the Father. I was willing to relinquish that and put on this stupid outfit called skin. <laughs> Come down to earth and die a criminal's death when I did nothing wrong. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He who knew no sin, that he being Jesus, he who knew no sin became sin so that we could be in right standing with God. How amazing that there's a leader offering us this invitation to follow him, to recklessly abandon all because he did it first for us. And I want to just speed through this real quick. A disciple, and this is our Renaissance definition, a disciple is an individual who makes their relationship with Jesus more important than any other relationship, life pursuit, or life purpose. See, at Renaissance, we want to create individuals who actively deny themselves. We want to create individuals who follow Jesus by devoting themselves to the teaching of the apostles. We want to create individuals who consider the gospel and submit to it in all aspects of their life. Not just Sundays, not just the good days, but in all aspects of their life. We want to create individuals who embody Jesus' values and reproduce them as opposed to just reading or talking about them. And so there's going to be a part two to this message, but I just want to leave you with the discipleship process and how it happened in my life. Is that cool? Is that cool? See, I'm unworthy of the gift you gave, but because I share the gospel, I'm a spit for days. You said, you know me like a book. You could flip my page. You said the world's going to be shook when you split the graves. The Holy Spirit come make me over, please. Take my heart in your hand, come make it over. I need a lot of courage, make me your soldier. Put your fire in my heart, please make me bold. The Holy Spirit, step right on in, please. Search the hearts of the people, shed your light on sin. Be hard, don't be light on sin. Believers and unbelievers, you can shed your light on them. So Holy Spirit, come walk with me. Come park in my heart, it's not enough for you to talk to me. Holy Spirit, be the salt for me. So I could walk around this earth and be sought for free. I want to grow, Lord. Please take me higher. No, not rich. Don't make me flyer. See the power that I got. You're the great supplier. It's an honor for me to serve the great Messiah. So unleash the fire. Release a rider. Come shape me like dough. 
from a pizza parlor. Because of you, I got strength. When I seek the Father, show me how to share your word. Be the streets provider. Lord, increase desire to a deeper fire so I could reach to the streets plus reach the choir. Every line that I speak, I hope each inspire people to walk with you or at least inquire. Why your name's so rich and exalted higher, how you walked on water with no sorts of wires, how dudes make decisions without talking prior. We disobey God, then we fought the liar. Lord, reach real deep, interrupt my speech so I could be a vessel and uncorrupt my streets or release, bring peace to the hearts of men. We got a hunger to be disciples because it starts with him. Praise God. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for the reality that you gave it all. Thank you that we have to surrender to that process, and it is there where we meet you. God, do only what you can. Lead us. Give us the hearts to want to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.